0: Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today's podcast is sponsored by Mackinex Construction Products. Mackinex has been designing original, award-winning, solution-based tools and equipment for industries such as hire, flooring, construction, and landscaping since 2004. From small beginnings in Sydney, Australia, they now have a global footprint in 14 countries, and have products carried by more than 4,000 equipment hire rental companies worldwide. Whether you buy or rent, you'll find Macinex products safe, simple to use, and built to last. Visit them at the Hire21 show in Gold Coast, Queensland, on the 12th of May, where they will be showcasing their latest products and innovations, including the hybrid power system, a portable, environmentally friendly alternative to the standard petrol and diesel generator platforms. Today's guest on the podcast is Doug Levins. Now, Doug has over 40 years experience in the equipment rental industry and has been mentioned by multiple people on this podcast as somebody that played an influential role in their career. So I'm very excited to sit down and talk with Doug. Now, Doug has worked for a variety of companies down to the individual independents and also all the way up to the national. So some of the companies he's worked at, for example, uh Able Hire, Action Hire, Discount Hire, All Light, National Hire, Coates Hire, Osgen, and he's currently at Power Right. Doug, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you first got into the equipment rental industry?
1: I, I used to ride my push bike past a company called Acme Hire. In, they were at Sutherland, 570 President Avenue. I used to remember it. And the smell of the the two-stroke and the machines, and it was just one of those things. I loved the idea of it. When I left school, that's what I wanted to do: was to work in one of those a company like that. I didn't know really what they did or how they did it, but I couldn't get a job there, so um, I ended up doing an apprenticeship. So as I had some skill sets to get a job in there, so eventually I, I did that. I became a bit of machinist, and then I started working for a company called Newton. Uh, brick elevators are in Pretty's Road in Bexley. There was a, a lady there by the name of Joan. She was the hire controller, come operations manager, come everything. And she taught me a lot about the industry. It was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. That was about 1984. I went from there to Able Hire at Sutherland. We established that from nothing. That's Acme Hire moved out. And Chris Dreyer, he was the old manager of Acme Hire. He put the money up and we opened the doors and away we went. It's now on its third owner, just sold again recently. And then I worked for myself for a long time.
0: So the mechanical side, did you switch over to various different roles? Were you in operations and sales? Like how did your roles evolve? Because obviously you, you, you formed a passion for the mechanical side. Like how did your roles evolve over time?
1: I've got a, a, an insatiable appetite to learn. If I don't know something, I'll find out the answer. And if I think it's inefficient, then I'll find a way to make it more efficient. And that's just inherent. That, that was something I was taught as an apprentice, actually, by a, he was my mentor, Kevin McCutcheon, and he taught me to investigate, evaluate, and change. And you can you never stop learning. It doesn't matter how old you are. And um, after I'd finished with Able Hire, and I worked for myself for about 15 years, I built. In, in the early days, I built lasers, laser levels, and I was hiring them out to level machinery. So we could we could get the machine, um, big machines, level within uh, on, on pre metric, uh, within you know, two thousandths of an inch, uh, and we used to do it relatively quickly and uh we developed it and we used to do wet hire and dry hire with that across new zealand and australia and i continued that for a long time uh until the olympics actually and then i got tied and sold it
0: wow okay so you've really experienced uh, quite a lot then so what were some of the companies that you worked at over the years was it some of the major players as well or was it more on the the smaller side like
1: I cut my teeth on a lot of smaller companies. Uh, you ought to understand years ago, the big companies weren't as big as they are now either. By like Recke was not was there, that was purchased by Coates. Uh, I went for a job interview at Coates Hire and they told me I'd never be any good in the rental industry. And many years later, <laughs> the man who interviewed me, I, I ended up being his boss, that was funny. And I, I told him about the interview that he did and, and I told him how wrong he was. <laughs> Which was good. I went to Action uh, Action Hire in Rittegong, um after I'd sold my business. Uh, Jared Newell, the owner there. Um, I was tired and I wanted to rest, but I know hire, so I just got the job there. Within three weeks, I'd gone into him. I said to Jared that you really, the people who you've got running a business are doing you injustice. You're only doing thirty or forty thousand a month. You should be doing three or four hundred thousand a month, because uh, and and um, the people were stealing off him, uh, because cash, in those days, people were th- they were thieving it, and um, I put some systems in place, and within two or three years, we were doing three to four hundred thousand dollars every month. I got bored there because uh, private business, they do what they want, and then I went to Discount Hire. I helped Wayne. Uh, he had a, he wanted to restructure, so I restructured his business. We split it in two, one for tools and equipment and the other for fencing hire. And we built uh, build up the production so as we could make our own fencing and our own cement blocks for the feet, employed the people. We ended up with 10 kilometres of fencing. And then um, my job was done there. So then I went to a company called All Light. Uh, they approached me. And that All Light became National Hire, which became Coats. And then I left there and started my own business, AusGen, doing generators. And I sold that two years ago to a company in Queensland, local hire. And then I went to PowerLight. And that's where I am right now.
0: Wow. So I want to touch on a few things here. So the guy at coach that told you that you would never make it in rental. Like, yeah. did, that, did that set a fire on you? Like, how did that make you feel?
1: Uh, the, the, you know, I asked him why and he told me why. And um, so that can't be right. So I've made it my passion. I had to learn and uh, overcome any weaknesses that you have. You have to be able to identify your weaknesses and find out what they are uh, and accept them if you can do that then you can make them a strength or find a way of uh, of making a shield against it and so it becomes a strength and And that that's what i did and uh, yeah it was some 15 20 years later but nevertheless i i enjoyed the conversation
0: that's amazing and so you seem to have made it an art form in sort of helping restructure these businesses and build these businesses up and create these teams. Like, what do you think that the key is there? Like, what's the sort of magic source that you're sort of putting in there to, to build these rental businesses up?
1: Trust and communication. Your employees are probably more important to you than the machinery. What most people don't understand, they've got a hire company and they say, oh, I've got a Dynapack roller, that's the best roller in the world. Well, really the customer doesn't care. Well, he cares that he's got a roller that makes things go flat or go hard or compressed uh, same if he wants a plate compact he doesn't care what brand it is as long as it does its job so a lot of the higher companies got hung up on brandage and not what the customer required the customer requires something very easy they want to make a phone call and make it happen quick they want the gear to turn up with the minimum of fuss they want it to work they want it to be reasonably priced. They want it picked up when their are told it's going to be picked up. They want it serviced when the toll is going to be serviced. And they just want it invoiced the way they want it invoiced. And then the world goes round. If you start doing that for the people and you listen to your clients, it doesn't take much. And they just keep coming back and back and back because you, people don't shop at Aldi because of the conveyor belt. They go to Woolworths where it's easier. Because Woolworths have made it easy. If everybody loved Aldi, Woolworths would go broke. It's the same in rental. You know, people—they, the people who own the hire companies don't understand. Their product is—it's not a piece of machinery. It's a block of time. They're hiring out blocks of time. That's—that's that's where they get their money. And—and and they've got to understand that you can't discount time and put it on a shelf. You can't—it's not tangible. You can't see it. There's a cost to everything in the machinery. You've got to understand what that cost is and and you can work out where your margins are. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. It's simple. It's not hard. It's very simple.
0: And so I guess when you've got these young guns that are coming into the business with all this fire that don't really have that much experience in hire, like how are you mentoring them to sort of have that right mentality to to engage with those customers like you're mentioning?
1: I, I gave you a document the other day. And that's what I give them the first to read, so they can understand what I'm looking at. And that, that's a brief on how to get a client and how to keep it running. And depends if if they're interested, then it's good. But if they're not, I will I will sack them. And I'm not too scared to get rid of somebody because I don't want a time waster in my books. I don't want somebody who's a prima donna. Uh, I don't want somebody who thinks about me and I have to be part of a team. I'd rather have a champion team than a team of champions. And you try and teach that to people. And then you can try and teach the young people that everyone that they deal with has a different way of communicating and a different way of how they're going to react. And they have to learn what actions they're going to take to get the reactions they want, to get the people, whether it be an employee or a customer, to make the decision that you require them to make to get what your goal is. And that's what I teach them. And it takes a long time. It's not easy.
0: Yeah, I read that document. was quite amazing how clear but detailed it was at the same time. I think that was quite impressive the way you wrote it. And you could definitely see there's a lot of years behind uh, your experience and what's came out of that document.
1: It, it, you, can't, you can't overcomplicate anything. Otherwise, people don't learn it. People can't remember 500-page textbook on how to say hello to somebody, but they can remember a passage mm. with the points.
0: How do you think the industry's changed or evolved in the past 10 or 15 years, from your view?
1: I, I believe it's gone backwards. Um, in certain aspects, you had there was a lot of these larger companies were buying each other out. You, know, you had National Hire go into Coats and become Coats, even though National Hire bought it. And there was arguments between the owners, West Track and and Carlyle Group, and all those wrestling for you know who's who's the strongest person. Blah blah blah. They still have internal tussles now. Uh, On site, they went through uh, a period there of acquisitions to, to for growth. Uh, Kennards went through a series of acquisitions for growth. Because you can only you can you can get growth organically, or you can purchase it. And a lot of these um, larger companies were swallowing the small ones up. It, it, it what it did do, it cleared the deck. And now that you find that there, there's a, another company called Easy Hire, the Materellis, uh, Thomas, who's there, he was one of my mentors. Um, they're going really well. They're doing road plates and and, and some general equipment. I still speak to them now. Uh, they're doing really well um, with the same philosophies that I've taught them. And there's 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 opportunities for a lot of players who who can fill the void that's left by these big companies because the big companies can't react fast. They're they're held down by uh, corporate governance, so to speak. That they concentrate on having a look at EBIT or EBITDA rather than profit or people and uh, they don't understand how important the good people are the good people leave them and in the end uh, you get you get left with what you've got and the customers get upset and they go to these smaller companies so there's room for everybody
0: and so do you think that the next few years is going to be a big opportunity for a lot of small players to grow like Sebastian's uh, easy hire to really grow up more and more Oh, that,
1: um, um, it's going to be unbelievable times for for, for the independents. It's going back to the way it was in the '70s and the '80s, and that was the most exciting time in rental for me was in the '80s because it was just so fast, and 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 uh, the customer was king, and, and we did it all right. It was all by hand, and I, I remember our hire counter having ten phones on it, and you had to try and juggle. It. <laughs> and then we went across to um, oh, it was it was Atomic Hire at the time, and, and they had something like fifty phones on a wall. And the black called um, Tom Tom McDonald, he was the branch manager over there, and it was just an exciting time. Um, I think it's going to go back to that. Um, I, I know that the smaller companies are getting busier. Even Murray from Complete Hire, he's he's had major growth in the last 10 years and he just, he's hidden from the world, but he's there. He's doing really well.
0: Yeah. That's, that's really great to hear because I think what I've seen as well, there's so many people spreading out from coats and from Kennards and from onsite and starting their own businesses or joining up and coming businesses. And they've got all this knowledge that they've built up over the years. And then the market's so strong. It's going to be great to see what that means uh, which would probably mean in the next 10 years, then the acquisitions will probably start again. Uh, so it's a bit of a cycle, but this is probably the, the perfect cycle for those small businesses to kick off.
1: Well, it is exciting. Look, I've been watching Rhino and the Vortex group. They're going really well. Yeah. Mark Snook, you've, I think you've, you've, you've actually interviewed him. Um, he, he's a sales manager with the Vortex, but um, you know, like Gary and, and Steve Donnelly, they've done really well there. They're pushing hard and they're growing. They're going really well. The people who used to own All Light, they're PR power now. They're doing really well. The old players are just moving around on the chessboard. That's all. As you said, they're going to different companies.
0: Maybe you spoke about the guy at Coates telling them that you would never make it in hire. But other than that, like, what were some of the challenges that you faced maybe in the early days? The challenges I faced in the early days were was mainly
1: about my self-belief and, and because I was young and then you're dealing with older builders. and they, Then what I had to do is go and learn how to change my approach to people. So it made me more uh, to understand people and different people and then try and understand each of the different businesses that I was dealing with and how to analyse them. Um, I find that... Um, I used to be on the road at seven in the morning because we opened at seven. And, you know, We closed at five. I was on the road till five, knocking on doors. But it came to a point I learned that the builders didn't want to see anyone before nine or after two because that's when they're getting a the day ready or closing the day off. And um, I didn't want to give them the shit. So I stopped seeing them and I spent that time in the branch with the branch managers or the owners and we were formulating things that we had to do and that was how I started to learn about the people that I was dealing with as as an entity as somebody having some empathy for what they're going through Uh, learning empathy I suppose was probably the hardest thing and how to judge it
0: and I guess when you talk about taking a step back and not just knocking on doors constantly and spending time at the branch and actually sort of spending more time figuring out a plan. I think that's an art in itself. I think so many people get stuck in the moment, almost like the rat race and don't take a step back and actually plan properly and figure out how they're going to really do their job better and become better both for themselves professionally and personally.
1: Well, it's true that there are that many books written on sales. There are that many CRM uh, programs now and You'll have some people tell you it's a numbers game. It's just a numbers game. Knock on doors, and you say hello to enough people. Um, you know, I could tell a, a, a sales rep. You know, I want to. I want you to see thirty-two people a day. If he goes to Westfield's Liverpool, he can knock on thirty-two shops, and there you go. I'm not going to get any higher, but he's spent the day and he done what I asked him to do. So, it was it? It's it's a stupid KPI. Um, my, mine are. Uh, my KPIs, my salespeople, are, I want three cold calls a day, I want three follow-ups, and I want three good visits. That's it. If you can do that continually, then your business grows, and you end up doing more than that anyway. But they're the KPIs that I look for. But I don't want rubbish calls. I don't want somebody going in to see somebody and say, oh, I could sell it high, you a fold up table once a year. Pre-qualify. And spend your time pre-qualifying people. And, and think outside the square, even, uh, it, it, it's interesting. That some of the big companies have passed over some, and then the companies, and then you find a niche. Um, I did I did once with Boral. I found a niche for dingoes. I was hiring them dingoes instead of coat tire I was getting $240 a, a day for them, and had them for years, um, all because I listened to what they wanted. And then I end up getting gas monitors in there um, and so much more. So they became $150,000 a month customer without me even trying. Just by listening and doing the, the pre-qualifying, I, I see what they actually want and find out what their pain is. And then and how can I help them with their pain?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Thank It's... It's listening is really the, the key, yeah, and not making assumptions when you're sort of walking into a customer uh, and ensuring that you're working with them and you deliver. That's probably the key aspect as well, that you deliver on what you say and you listen to what they're after rather than just sort of jamming something down their throat for a hire.
1: God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, listen twice as much as we speak, and everybody wants to tell their story. They love to tell their story. So listen to their story and then they'll get to trust you and then they'll tell you what the pain is and then you'll work out how to fix it. Their pain might even just be the way it's invoiced. It might not be the machinery. Might be I'm sick and tired of asking for credits because they overcharged me. Because everyone on the hire, they say, oh, yeah, look at that. I can charge you an extra half a day here. Knowing full well he's not going to get paid. But what the person on the desk doesn't understand is that costs the company $75 an hour to chase. And for every hour that somebody's talking about that for a $10 credit, it's $75. So, someone might work for three hours on that. It's just ridiculous. So, be honest, your words, your bond, and look for their pain. Just make it simple.
0: Yeah, that's good. And so, how did you stay motivated over the years? And, like, how do you motivate your sales team? Um,
1: I've done a lot of when I was with Coach hire I got to admit they spent a lot of money on me um, to, to, for mentors and things which was awesome. I actually do a lot of, I do a lot of reading myself and, and, and I actually employ when I need it um, I see somebody now once a week uh, just for an hour a week uh, to keep me focused and uh, to run over my whole week and what we've been doing because everybody needs somebody like that. There are certain exercises which I teach my people about worry and what to think about. And I only want them to worry or think about things that they can affect change on and not worry or think about things that they can't affect change on because it's a waste of time and effort. And then I show them how to do that and teach them. And then eventually it's all good. But also being positive and happy is a state of mind when we all wake up every day we're inert we're not happy we're not sad we're not joyous we're not angry we sit on the side of the bed and whether we like it or not we make a choice Are we sad are we happy or not and i always choose to be happy take a deep breath another beautiful day and away i go
0: i like to retrack a little bit around the person that you catch up with so is that like a a, a mentor to help you plan better like who, who is this person
1: no, it, it's it's a lady. She's just a very good listener. I actually pay her. I suppose she's like a counsellor. I suppose if you'd want to say that, she's got no qualifications or anything to do with the rental industry. But it's more for me to unload my mind and and discuss some of the things that I'm feeling. So as I don't discuss them with people that it would affect. And and I've been doing that for thirty years now. been seeing somebody
0: wow so i think this is a really good topic because i don't think enough people take like talking to somebody like that seriously enough and they they almost like bottle things up or build the stress up on themselves and they worry about things that aren't in their control like you mentioned so like is this something that like you think isn't spoken about enough
1: it started for me 1998 my marriage dissolved and I ended up being divorced and that's why I sold the business actually I had to Um, and I went through a very hard time and I started to drink and do what people do and then I had an epiphany and um, I I went to a counsellor because I I said if I don't I've got to be right for my children so I went to this counsellor and um, I found that it helped and then I did a 12 months course on meditation on how to meditate and and I did that and then I kept doing self-help courses on uh, lots of different subjects because you write down what pains you and what your weaknesses are and then the only way to get rid of a weakness or a pain is to is to is, is to look at it through open eyes and, and that that That's basically what I've done without lying to myself. Um, I I, I was in a mess and I became good.
0: Do you think that if you didn't go down that path of uh, seeing somebody, the meditation, really being more honest with yourself, you wouldn't have become the person you are today?
1: A hundred percent. I would not have. No. My career would have been totally different. I wouldn't have had a career. I would have just floated around like 75% of the population an aimless meaningless life that's not that's why people get depressed
0: that's a, I'm so glad you you brought that up that's such a strong thing and and your stepson he's also in the hire industry so I think him watching that journey would have been something to look up to as well yeah
1: yeah well, he, all the lessons that he's had he's probably had more lessons than anyone who because he's had them since he was young and um he he he's he's a wonderful man He's um, married and and I'm so proud of him and what he's achieved and as a person, what he is. And and he really has taken to note, and as I've told him, that you can learn something from everybody, but eventually you're going to find that you, you start calling that person dumb or stupid. It's not that they're dumb or stupid. It's just that you've learned as much as them, if not more. So don't ridicule them because once... You looked up to them. And he understands that now. He understands everybody's got a story.
0: Oh yeah. I heard he's going to be shaving off his beard.
1: Uh, once he's got enough money, he's, uh, he's shaving it off for charity.
0: Yeah, I saw yeah, he listed a few different charities. That's amazing. Uh, Emmanuel, if you're listening, <laughs> well done. Hopefully you get enough money and we can get the beard off and change your look.
1: Yeah, well, I'm putting some money up for him. It's going to be funny looking at him with no beard.
0: <laughs> That's funny.
1: He's gonna have the dog. He's gonna he's gonna put the he still keep the dog. He's gonna have a, a goatee.
0: Oh, very nice. All right. Well, you sort of half answered this question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Like if you could give advice to your younger self, what would you say?
1: My eighteen year old self, if I could mentor myself the with what I know now, listen with two ears and talk with one mouth don't think you know everything continually learn and and nothing nothing is set and you can achieve anything you want as long as you put your mind to it do it properly and you've got the will you will achieve it that's that's what i tell myself
0: yeah and i think it's almost having belief as well like it sounds like over over the years like you've gained belief you lost belief and then eventually you sort of really figured out how to if you want to say it love yourself more I guess is maybe the right word like I'm not sure but I think that that belief in in who you are as a person and what you can achieve and what you can give to others rather than sort of isolating yourself and being in your own thoughts and I think it's it's such a great thing that you've brought this up and so many people can actually listen to this
1: you know if if you can't love yourself you can't love anyone else be proud of who you are, and make sure that you keep that clean. Because at the end of the day, it um, it's what you portray. That's who you are. That's how people see you. It's perception. Yeah. You want to be perceived as somebody who's good and kind and trustworthy. Then portray that. Do it.
0: Yeah. And I'm assuming all this sort of stuff rubs on off onto the people that you work with, and then you shedding this positivity. I love that when you said that. When you wake up in the morning, you choose to be happy. I think that's an amazing mindset to have.
1: One of the things that the people who work with me understand is everything, if, if, if they've got a, a problem, they come to me and I promise them an answer. I can't promise they like the answer, but I promise them the answer. I never let anyone down that way. If you lie to me, I will sack you. If you thieve from me, I will sack you. If you don't want to be part of the team, I will help you find another job, but you won't be working with me or the team. And everybody's told that from the very beginning. And um, i have given them the option. Do you want to join a team and be part of our team and learn and grow? Or do you want to be a self-egotistical person? If you do want that, then this is not the job for you. And I tell them that in a job interview. And I'd I'd rather be blunt and straight up with them than than push your foot around.
0: Yeah, so I guess that's probably a good thing to talk about. So how do you find good salespeople? Is it like how do you manage that recruitment process?
1: I don't want a gun. Somebody who comes in and and starts to tell me, I I do this, I do that, I do this, that's good. And, And you might be really good, but you've got to be willing to learn. Like, I'm always willing to learn and I'll listen. Um, if any, anybody can sell, anybody can. Um, some people are a champion cold callers. They're really, really good at cold calling. So then I'll hone those people towards cold calling and they'll become the best cold callers you've ever seen in your life. There are other people that are good at closing. So I'll hone them towards closers because it's not the salesperson's job to get a customer. It's a salesperson's job to make the phone ring and get the inquiries. It's the business that has to close the deal. So we have to use what tools we have, whether they be uh, cold callers or closers or mechanics. They're all tools. We need to use those tools wisely and we employ them when we need to and then the business can uh, get the inquiry, fill the quote, close the job, supply the job, pick up the job, invoice the job and get paid. And that's, that's all it's about.
0: The other part of it is that if you have the mindset of quoting something that isn't even possible, you're always going to sort of hurt yourself later on and it's going to damage your reputation. So it's like owning the customer from like cradle to grave through their entire relationship of the engagement with the business.
1: Well, you have to. A job is not finished until they pay. There's no good giving them a thirty-ton excavator for two thousand dollars a week if they're not going to pay. It's ridiculous. Doesn't matter if, they, if you're getting ten thousand dollars a week. They're not going to pay. It's ridiculous. You got to find out What makes people pay? But that's the only reason we do it is because we make money. And it's just a lovely way of making money. It's it's, it's glorious. A lot Of higher companies don't understand is that if a building company goes broke, might have 10 and Bunnings have lost all their materials. We got our materials back, all we lost were lumps of time, so we can move on because we haven't lost our raw materials. So,
0: yeah, interesting, yeah. It's a, it's a great situation to be in, uh, not losing your assets, especially around. I guess there was a few challenges at one stage around the, the PPSR, I remember. Uh, a few people losing their assets but that's obviously resolved as uh, slightly as time has gone on
1: yeah you know, everything everything's fine. to you know if if you do everything correctly then then and, and you've got to you got to always look at, at, at what what can happen and plan for the worst and hope for the best so I'm always looking to see what's the worst thing that could happen by renting something to somebody and what can we put in place so they don't get hurt. or and, and we've got to reduce our liabilities, which is, you know, it's a very litigious world nowadays. So we have to make sure that we reduce our liabilities by proper training and proper vetting about who we deal with.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a good point. So with proper training, like if you brought in a new sales rep into a higher business, is it more important to focus on the product, the customer, or the sales process? Like what, what's what, what's the sort of ratio you got here?
1: I get him to work in the business for six months on the, on the counter first. So they understand how the mechanics of the business works. So when he's out selling, he's not going to promise something that the person on the counter can't do. So They've got to understand the mechanics of it. And in that six months, they learn the bad, the good, the fun, what problems the customers face, what problems the employees face because the salesman's over-promised or under-promised or, you know, the time constraints are wrong. So then they learn the business. They've got to know the business. It's no good just coming into it. and Like I used to sell spark plugs or something, they'd say, and here we're selling higher. He doesn't know what higher is. It takes a long-term time to learn what higher is you've got to know how all the machinery works, how to set it up and what pieces of machinery can solve the problem. It's just because, you know, you use a plate compactor for doing pavers doesn't mean that you can't use it on asphalt. And this bloke might not know that. So there are lots of different things you can do to um, to help the customers. And, and if your people who work for you understand that, then it, 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 they'll sell more. Right.
0: And so I guess you've got to probably have the right mindset as an owner of a company as well, to be willing to invest in these people to work on the counter for six months. Cause I guess some people would just be like, "No, nah, we need to get salespeople in the business and selling, selling, selling. It's a different mindset to invest in that person before they start selling.
1: Well, it is the way I see it is, um, You've got the branch manager, we'll just talk it's not an owner, we'll call him a branch manager. And then you've got the assistant manager because you always got to have someone to back you up. The assistant manager is actually the salesperson, or should be the salesperson. And he's got some buy-in, he's learning how to do budgets and all that kind of stuff off the manager. And the, the manager, he was the assistant manager once, so he's learned how to sell. And they know what they're and that's the progression through the business. That's how I like it to happen. Um, and then everybody's got some buy-in. they got to know, they don't need to have the answer to everything, but they have to need to know where they can get the answer. And uh, when Martin came to work for me, we were doing generators. And um, he said, what do I need to know? I said, they're a box that makes electricity. I said, you go out there, and they're going to start asking you questions. And I said, I'm the person that can answer them for you, and over time, we'll hone your, your craft. And uh, it didn't take him long because he he knew what to do. And um, I've done that with quite a few people and they become experts in the power generation world. And they're, they're still today renting generators.
0: I think Martin on the podcast, he said something about you, which was interesting. So he said that when he was working with you and selling generators, it was the first time in his career where he's felt comfortable that he could deliver on what they were promising as a sales rep in, in, up to that point. Uh, yeah. like that, that, that's an amazing like mind shift for somebody. And like, do you want to talk about maybe how that sort of worked?
1: You're, you're working with a team. It's a, we're a team. And if one of the team fails, then the whole team fails. So if the team promises to do something, well, someone in the team, like the salesperson, then I'll back that salesperson up and the team will make sure they get that. But we've already educated the salesperson because he's worked in the business and he knows the shortcomings that we have. So he hasn't generally over-promised us. Although he's stretched us, he hasn't over-promised. And then the team that I have working for me understand that, there's no such word as there's no such word as can't in my dictionary. Everything can be done. You just gotta put your mind to it. And uh, we, we we achieved miracles. So when when the Pope came, we did the Pope, <laughs> yeah, for World Youth Day. And people said we couldn't do it, but we did it. A team of 15 people and we looked after the whole thing. It was incredible.
0: Yeah, all this insight, and so I guess if somebody was one of those people that was going to start a new business in this the next year or so, like what advice would you give to those owners uh, that maybe they're an experienced person in rental, maybe they're not experienced? Like, what would what advice would you give to someone that is starting their own hire business?
1: Um, it doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen straight away. It takes a long time. If if you don't understand the process mentors um, they're out there they'll teach you and they'll, they'll help you a lot of a lot of uh, people will help you in their business help you to succeed but just listen uh, and don't and don't don't make decisions based on feelings make them all based on some data make sure you're good at getting the data that you need
0: and i think that sort of leads into my next question you said employ good mentors like So you've obviously had a lot of mentors over the years, that or maybe that have been an influence on you. Like, who do you think were key mentors in your career so far?
1: Uh, A a man called Kevin McCutcheon was my first mentor. Um, He was absolutely brilliant. Um, He was a mentor for about ten years. Jared Newell from Action Hire. He he was key and instrumental in teaching me a lot of things about the rental industry as well. Uh, Joan. From uh, she was she was good from Newton Brick Elevators. Uh, then at, in 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 National Hire was the Coates. There there were some brilliant people. Sid Magna, um, he he was brilliant. Um, he used to be the sales manager for Coates, and we became very good friends. Um, we still speak today. Um, Wayne Pierce, um, they, they, he was a bit of a mentor for a while. Um, then, by, then you got. I don't really have any mentors anymore. Um, I, 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 I speak to the people that I do weekly, um, but I still don't stop learning because everybody can teach me something.
0: And I think if you are a mentor, which it sounds like you are to a number of people, like you're learning along the way while you're mentoring them as well. So I think it's like a two-way thing as uh, as part of that relationship.
1: It is a two-way thing. And and I'm not scared of telling them when I made a mistake either. It's all part of growing and learning. So don't be don't be scared to put your hand up and say, I'm an idiot, I made a mistake because no one's perfect, no one's infallible.
0: Yeah, it's a good mindset to have. So then how do you define success and maybe what was a defining moment in your career, do you think? If I
1: was to retire now, I'd retire a very happy person. I designed mobile power stations and I and I had a company have belief in me and they bought them. And we were doing the chinchilla gas line and I built them so they could move these 1.5 megawatt power stations with the base camps as they moved, they could move the power stations. I showed them how they could rent it to somebody and how they could make money. And uh, that, that, that was awesome that they had the belief and, and mm. didn't question it. And he did it. And now that, that was uh, Danny Shaw. He's got his own rental company now. That he does up and down things. He does scissor lifts and that. He's, so, he's since sold that company. That, that was that. And, and, and I made connections all over. I've been to New Guinea and the islands China, and everywhere um, to, to help events. I've done a lot of events designed their electrical layouts and, and how we could uh, make money and rent the, the, the people and the equipment to them. Like, uh, some of the V8 supercar events uh, I've done. I sponsored them for a while. You see Losgen and some of the stuff. Uh, New Year's Eve we've done that for a long time just by finding niche markets and different pieces of equipment and just thinking outside the square. So you're always one step ahead of everybody. That was, I suppose I was successful there and I can sit back and say, I've done that and I'm happy.
0: It's definitely a, a, a great achievement of what you've done so far. And the fact that you're willing to give your expertise to an up and coming business owner to sort of help that business become successful I think is a form of success in itself in seeing others succeed which i think is a really great thing that you're doing for the industry
1: oh, the, the industry I love the industry I don't think I'll ever really retire um, retirement for me is three days a week and non consulting <laughs> that'd be that'd be awesome but uh, we'll get to that
0: all right well doug well I really want to thank you for coming on the rental journal podcast
1: uh, thank you so much for having me it, it's been a pleasure and um, I wish you well thank you
0: please share, follow, like the rental journal podcast, and I'll see everyone in next week's episode.